Well, welcome this morning to Creekside. You guys happy? Good? Alive? Awesome. Good. Well, I hope you got some energy and coffee. If you guys don't know, uh, uh, I get really excited. I talk fast, and you're just in trouble. So um, we have a PowerPoint for one slide that we're going to work through with the scriptures. Yeah, I probably made those too small, but it's okay. Uh, because we're going to go through a whole bunch of stuff this morning, and uh, I'm just excited to make connections that hopefully you would leave encouraged. And uh, the Bible is powerful, and so we get to talk about it uh, because God wrote it, and it really changes hearts when you take it in and receive it. So uh, we're our, we are in our Light Verse series, and we started it a few weeks ago. Uh, Pastor Kyle and Pastor Dustin both did amazing jobs the past two weeks um, sharing their verse, their life verse. And so maybe you're like new, been here, you're like, what's a life verse? What is this thing? Uh, if you, um, don't be offended if you have a life verse and you call it that. But in college, when you go to a Bible college, you hear a lot of Christianese. You know what that is? Like there's Christian words that, that when you're just coming to Jesus, you're like, what does that mean? Like I've been baptized. I, I worship Jesus. Just love on them. Like all these weird words. You're like, what does that mean? And, and one of the words I heard was life verse. And I was like, that sounds so cheesy. I'm never going to use that. And then Pastor Terry's like, we're doing a life verse series. <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't know what I think about it. No, no, I love life. I love this verse. I love the idea. Uh, it's just a name that kind of freaked me out um, because I, we just use a whole bunch of Christianese weird things. And so, yeah, um, if you call it that, you're, you're awesome. And I don't judge you. So, uh, um, but the life verse idea is having a verse, having a scripture or truth or a passage or a story that you can come back to, that you see things through. So like for me, this verse is like a lens that I see a lot of life, uh, myself, uh, and just scripture through. And it's not like it's the most famous scripture or the best one above yours. Like my life verse is better than your life verse. It's not like that. It's just for me, I don't know how I found it besides reading through it. I don't know why really it is even like a life verse to me besides the fact that I always go back to it. And maybe that's for you. You don't know it's a life verse. Um, You don't know, like you don't call this verse a life verse, but you keep going back to it. And it encourages you or it reminds you of things you should be doing that maybe you've lost track of. for me, that's why I love this verse. And so we're going to divide it up into three, excuse me, sections and then look at it. And so all those scriptures are really just my way of connecting it. And so instead of me interpreting the Bible um, and, and probably giving you my opinion more than truth, I want to give you God's truth. And so I'm going to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Is that good for y'all? Y'all have a Bible in your hand? Okay, hopefully, if there's some Bibles back there, you're going to want one because, again, uh, I talk fast. There's no PowerPoint and there's blank notes. And so um, listen in, soak it up, uh, and just make the connections. Um, and just let, it, let the Scripture, let, let the power of God's Word kind of just get into your heart and mind. Not just on the outside. Don't let it just hit and rub off. And like, okay, this is a sermon. I really, uh, this verse, um, it's a privilege to talk about it because it's, it's all about Jesus. And I'm really excited to talk about Jesus. I always uh, am. And so this is the verse uh, you can see on top, 2 Corinthians 5.15. I don't know, again, why I landed there, but that's where I landed, and I love it. I keep going back to it. I sign it on thank you cards and encouraging notes when I send out to people. It's just it, and I can't explain it. Uh, but there's a lot of Jesus in it, and I need a lot of Jesus, and um, it tells me a lot about what I should do. So 2 Corinthians 5.15 says this, that Jesus died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. I love that. 
Jesus died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. So I'm going to divide it into three sections. Jesus died, the first section, how that affects us and how we should no longer live for ourselves. And then the third part is how we should live for Jesus. And so those verses are really just going to connect and paint a big picture of what this looks like. So part one, Jesus died for all. If you didn't know, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what hopefully this church is built on until, until it collapses and it goes away. That's what it's founded on. Hopefully your life, if you call yourself a Christian, is centered on the gospel. Not church attendance, not the Bible itself, uh, not other religious activities, but Jesus and what he's done for you. And what I love about this is that I need to always remind myself of the gospel every day. Because when you forget the gospel, you forget your motivation for living for Jesus. You forget the power behind you being able to live for Jesus. You forget what's been done to you. And the most important part, you forget what God thinks about you, what he's done for you on your behalf, and that, how that changes you. See, I, 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 deal with a lot, I, I deal with a lot of people, of course, because I'm a pastor. So I talked to a lot of people in Bible college. We, I was in charge of a section of dorms. So I counseled and mentored some guys. And a lot of people, even I got to this point sometimes, where I'm like, okay, the gospel, Jesus dying for me and my sins on the cross, that's elementary. That's, that's the basic stuff. Give me the meat. Give me the deep stuff. And, and let me tell you this morning that if, if you want to move past the, the, the cross of Jesus, the gospel, if you think that's basic elementary and you want deeper stuff, then you probably don't understand the gospel. If you think this is simple, I get it, let's move past it, then you probably don't know what Jesus really did for you. Because that is the deepest thing. That is what the Bible is centered on. Half the Bible points to this event where God comes down in the form of a man and lives and dies for us. And the rest of the Bible explains what that means. So it's pretty important. Our whole Bible is centered on this one event that Jesus came and lived a perfect life. That he came and died in your place and he rose again and he gave you his spirit. And now you have a whole new life to live. That is the gospel. That's good news. I hope, hopefully that gets you excited because that means that there's a God who loves you so much that he's willing to do something for you because he knows you can't do it on your own, right? Other religions, they kind of require you to do X, Y, Z, sit, stand, pray, give, do this until you get to God. But God, the God of the Bible, the real God, the only God, he knows you're not going to be able to just to fill out a chart, check these boxes and be able to get to him. It's not like that. And a lot of people try, and religion is like this ladder that we try to climb to get to heaven and get to Jesus and get to eternity and get to all these things. But it's not going to happen. We can't do enough good because we still have sin in us. So God comes down to us in Jesus. And what this says is grace. You ever heard of the word grace? Raise your hand if you ever heard of the word grace. Grace. I love it. I need to focus on it more. It rewires my mind and heart when I hear about it because grace it means this, that grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. It's an undeserved gift. Now in our culture, that doesn't make sense because we have to do good things, accomplish a set of lists of rules to receive something. In school, you're going to have to do X, Y, and Z in order for you to get a good grade. But if someone gave you an A, as students, hello, if someone gave you an A when you didn't show up in class, you're like, that's a gift, right? I like that gift. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's called grace. Unearned. You didn't deserve it. You actually didn't do anything to even get close to that. But it's a gift. That's what Jesus is to us. Undeserved, unearned gift. 
And why I, like, uh, why I love this verse so much is the word grace is so close to the gospel. It's, it's one and the same because it reminds me it's not about me. Amen. It's not about what I do to please God and make him happy. I can't. I'm not going to twist his arm and go, hey, I do a lot of good things for you in your name. Like, let me into heaven. That doesn't happen with God. He's holy. He's righteous. He's perfect. He has a standard. And the things that we do aren't just going to twist his arm so that he can do things for us. Grace means that it's not about what I do for God. It's about what Jesus has done for me. That's good. That's good news. And I need to constantly put my eyes back on this because I can get to running and going hard and focusing on what can I do for God, use my muscles, serve, read the Bible more, pray more, and do all this stuff. And at the end, I am relying on my own strength, my own stuff, and not Jesus. And the Bible says that if you are going to run your own race and do things yourself and think that what you can do can get God happy and pleased and forgive your sins, then what Jesus did on the cross was a waste. But it's not a waste. This is good news. And uh, let me insert a snippet. Um, we want, I want you to respond back. So like, don't sit there and, and uh, let's see, how can I say this? Get excited. Like, like say something. Like, amen. Like, I love it. Hallelujah. I know it's not that kind of church, but, uh, but just get excited because I love it. This is, we're talking about Jesus here, right? Jesus is exciting. We're not watching a documentary on PBS. We're, we're talking about Jesus. That's good news. So someone get excited in the house. Gosh, man. This is big news. I mean, maybe this is not real. And I don't want this to be a game where you come to, you sit in church, you do the thing and you go to lunch and then you walk on and, and forget about God. Like that's not, that's not what it's about. If, there's a re if there really is a God that has changed our lives and has come into existence, into our world to, ex to live with us, to die for us, then that is something to get excited about. That is amazing to me. It changes the way I think about everything and live. And so I love this part of the verse. I love this verse because it brings me back to Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not religion, not church, not the Bible, not doing effortless stuff and all, all these things. It's Jesus first and foremost. And because of Jesus and because of what he's done, then I can do all these things. Because when I do all these things and I focus on Jesus first, it's not me doing these things to get approval. It's me doing these things because I want to praise and please Jesus because he's done so much for me. It's a response of gratitude and a lifestyle of saying, God, I want to worship and give my life to you because you've given your life to me. It's good news. It's grace. Second, it's personal. I love this because we think Jesus died for all. It's one blanket death. He forgives us. He doesn't really even know me. You know, it was 2,000 years ago. Like, how is this personal? How is this God love me when he doesn't know me? But the Bible says that God knows you better than you know yourself. That he created you and he made you in his image. And so you resemble him. But sin has corrupted that image. But God still knows you. And he knows you so well that when he sent Jesus to you, it's literally the word that I use and the Bible uses is substitute. And you can write that down. Substitute. Whenever you think of Jesus, think of substitute. That he literally substituted himself in our place. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 says this, that God orchestrated this, that he put this together. That Jesus, the one who never, get this, experienced sin, became sin for us so that in him, we might embody the very righteousness of God. 
that says this, that all our shame and guilt and sin and junk and disobedience and rebellion, Jesus took that. So Jesus got what we deserved and we got what Jesus deserved. That's good. It's not fair, but God definitely intentionally designed it that way. That Jesus on the cross would get all that you deserve, the punishment you deserve for disobeying a good God who's never done anything against us. The shame that comes with that and the guilt and the separation. Jesus gets that on the cross and you walk away scratch free saying, I get everything Jesus gets. I get to be a part of God's family. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. I get to be blessed with eternity, with peace and no darkness and no death and no sin and no tears. Like I get that for something someone else did for me. That's good. It's not the way the world operates. Because we think, well, God, I didn't do enough good stuff for you, religious stuff, so I can't go into heaven. And I think I probably mention this all the time to the students, is that I was in this EBC class, this Bible college class, with uh, it was a Muslim Christianity Islam class, and we interviewed um, uh, people who uh, were Islamic in their faith, and they followed the Quran. And, and they said literally that, I asked them, how do you know you're going to get to heaven? And we started talking about heaven and our beliefs, and they said, we don't know. They said, our only hope is that we do uh, more good things than bad things, because if we do more bad things in life than good things, we don't get into paradise. That's not hope. That's burden upon burden upon burden of you trying to impress a God who is distant. Jesus is about a God who is close and says, you can do bad. He doesn't encourage you, but he says, you're, gonna, you're going to. You already have. Sin is in coursing through your veins. You have already disobeyed. But Jesus stands there and says, I have obeyed in your place. All the law, we go, oh, Old Testament, so boring. There's so many, there's 613 commandments. Yeah, there's a lot of commandments. Everything God wants for his, his people. Jesus fulfilled all that. So when you stand before the Father, before God, Jesus, or God doesn't see you as this dirty, rotten person who still has stains to fix. He sees you as perfect because he sees his son, Jesus. So it's personal. He substituted himself. It's a crazy gift exchange where we give Jesus our sin and he gives us new life. We give Jesus our death. He gives us new life. We give Jesus our guilt and shame. He gives us forgiveness and freedom. We give Jesus our enslavement to sin and he gives us freedom to live for him and to be free people. That's good news. It's not just personal, it's purposeful. See, in the Bible, there's a lot of different translations, but the basic translation of this verse, it says this, Jesus died for all for this very purpose. If you were to look in the original language it was written, it says that Jesus died for all for this purpose very purpose. So it shows us that Jesus didn't just die to die. He wasn't just a martyr that came and did things and okay, cool, like what happens next? There was a purpose. There was a design. There was an intention in what Jesus did. He died for you for this very purpose that you should no longer live for yourself, but for him. There's purpose there. Jesus' death doesn't just accomplish salvation. It literally, it causes things in us to change. There's a purpose. He wants you to live a certain way, but he doesn't just say, do it and give us a commandment. He empowers us. He gives us the changed heart to be able to live for Jesus, for him. Ephesians 2.10 says this. This is right after Paul literally was talking about all the good stuff Jesus has done, how it's all grace, not on our works so that we can boast, but on Jesus. And this is what Paul says. 
For we are God's product. We are his product of his hand. Heaven's poetry etched on lives, created in Jesus to accomplish the good works God arranged beforehand. There were good things that God wanted you to do. So when you came to Jesus, now that you're in Jesus, there's stuff he wants you to do, right? As for some of us, for a lot of people in America, there has this idea that going to church is uh, fulfilling a commandment and it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit going to church. And so like, it's like, you know, it proves that we're Christian. It, it, it means that God's going to be happy with us. That's not the good work that he's talking about. He's more concerned about you being the church with one another than just attending something. And I'm going to beat that drum till the day I die because a lot of our minds are so focused on attending and not being. And, and we, we want to come and receive from a pastor, but, but our hearts and, and actions don't want to go, I want to be that. I want to be Jesus. I want to put into action what I'm being taught. And, and Jesus says, look, at, I, I have works for you. I have good things. Like you're going to be about my kingdom and my mission. And you're going to love my people and love my world and forgive the people who have hurt you. There's good things that Jesus has in store for you. So we should be working, right? We should be pursuing the things that he has. Active, not just lazy or apathetic in the background. I'm a Christian. But we should be active in saying, I'm going to live for the good things that God has. God wants to do good things in this world. He still does. And he does it through his people, you guys. And so when you pursue Jesus, you've been saved by Jesus. And you're like, okay, I'm going to allow you to work through me. You are literally being the hands and feet of Jesus. And he is, he's working his purposes through you. He's loving your neighbor through you. He's forgiving someone still through you. He's serving someone who doesn't have what they need through you. He gets to do good things still to this world through his church, his body. So the gospel says that Jesus died for all so that we have a purpose to live for him. But it also means that we no longer live for ourselves. When you accept Jesus' death and resurrection, say, this is what I stand on. This is it. Not my good standing, but on Jesus and what he did. Then you're saying, it's no longer about me. Is that good news? That's really good news to me. It's no longer about me. Before Jesus, I was my own master. I called the shots. I did what was comfortable for me. I did what made me happy. I did what pleased me, what was safe and what was easy. And so I can get people's praise and possessions or position. Like I did, I was a self-absorbed person. And some of you inside here can be like, yeah, I was, I was that person. I just did what made me happy. I didn't care about other people. Like, yeah, I did some good things here and there, but really my heart was more of a black hole than a spring or a fountain. I just sucked everything in. It was dark. It was dirty. It was, it was self-consuming. But this is the thing. Jesus says, now that I've freed you from that, you get to live for me, not for yourself. But how does that happen? Like, what's the connection between Jesus dying and now me not living for myself? I don't, I don't understand the connection. Well, I got a verse for that. Ding, ding. Romans, Romans 6, 5 through 6. Paul, like, it just makes sense. And hopefully this is an encouragement that you would read your Bible because if you don't understand something, God's word explains it. And it's him speaking to you. So Romans 6, this is the key. This is how we're able to stop living for ourselves and being our own master and live for Jesus. Romans 6, 5 through 6. To put it another way, if we have been united with Jesus to share in a death like his, don't you understand that we will also share in his resurrection? 
we know this, whatever we used to be with our old sinful ways has been nailed to his cross. So our entire record of sin has been canceled, get this, and we no longer have to bow down to sin's power. You no longer are slaves to sin. Before Jesus, I was a slave to sin. Whatever sin wanted me to do, I did it. And some of you knew, don't believe in Jesus. You're like, this is crazy. How am I a slave to sin? People have addictions. You might not have the biggest addiction that is really out in public, but you have an addiction inside. Something that keeps you going back to this thing, whether you're hurting people, you're harming yourself, and, and you're lying, steeding, cheating, uh, uh, cheating, lusting after something. There's sin that is coursing through us in this world that we literally keep going back to. And we fool ourselves to think, I'm not a slave to that because I can break free. Yeah, you can break free for a few days or a season and then you go right back to that. Why? It's not because you're just weak. It's because you're enslaved. The Bible is clear. We are literally slaves to sin. Sin is our master. We are a master of our own selves. And to be true, truly honest, like I'm not a good master. You're probably not the best master either of yourself. See, if I'm the master, and as I have been the master before, before Jesus, and I can get, kind of creep back up to that level, I'm either two things. One, I'm too easy on myself, and so I can do things that harm people and harm myself, and I, I don't get down on myself. Or two, I'm too hard, and I start inflicting lethal amounts of guilt and shame on me. You ever done that? You can be honest, this is church, God sees. Okay, so we've done that, where you just feel like, man, you beat yourself up over stuff you've done. It's because you're your own master. You call the shots. There's no higher authority. So whatever you say is truth in your head. That's why people can go around and, and relativism is so big. It's whatever, whatever's true for me is, is true for me. Well, that's not true. That's not true. Because what if my truth says your truth is wrong? What if my truth says that you were actually made in God's image and he loves you and you're not just a blob? You're not an accident. What if my truth says that you're made for more than what you're doing and stuck in? That's what the Bible does. It tells us the truth of God that we are literally slaves of sin. But when he came, our old lives, we were crucified with Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. Paul saying what happened on the cross to Jesus is what happened to me. My sinful, fleshly, worldly life, that person I was that wasn't really giving, that wasn't loving, that wasn't really always patient, but wanted things for himself, that person, dead and gone. That's why in baptism, if you know, you ever seen baptism, they go down underwater, come back up. It's not just some kind of like, okay, ritual, we dunk people to hold them under to put the fear of God in them. But is there actually a reason for that? Because when you go underwater, you literally are resembling that you've been crucified with Jesus. So your old life is buried. The old you is dead and gone. And when you rise to life, there's a new you. Not just because of baptism, but because of Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, our old sinful, selfish lives were crucified. You need to know that. The Bible says in Romans 6, 11, you have to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Consider means you have to think, persuade yourself, because it is a reality. But we can have a lot of realities and we don't live in them, right? We, we can know this is real, but we're not living like it's real. The Bible says you are dead to sin. You no longer answer to sin. You answer to Jesus. He doesn't have to control. The sin in your life doesn't have to control you. Jesus now wants to. He wants to call the shots. And so you've been crucified with Christ. Your old life is gone. That's why the Bible says we are, anyone in Jesus is a new creation. 
You have to know this. It's good news because you're not just the old you that has some changed parts, okay? You're not just like, yeah, I'm the same person. I stopped cussing. I go to church. So now I'm a Christian. Like, that doesn't make you a Christian. Where do we get that? What Bible are we reading? That's not in the Bible. It was, has your heart been changed? Have you repented? The first thing Jesus taught was repent for the kingdom of God is here and believe. There has to be a heart change and a change in lifestyle. And only Jesus can cause that. Only faith in him, because if you have faith in him, you're united with him. So whatever happened to Jesus happens to you. That's why you get all the good stuff Jesus has, because you're one with him. And he can bless you, and he will continue to bless you, because you're literally united with him. So his death is your death. His life is a new life for you. Jesus resurrected. Like we're going to sing later on, he's alive. And this is the proof that I know is alive. I can go through the Bible and try to argue with someone like, this says this, this says this, or look at archaeology, but I'm not going to do that. That doesn't even really sell it for me. You know what I can stand on that Jesus is alive is that he's changed my heart and I have different desires. That I'm a different person. Hopefully you can realize I'm different. Like my old life was like this, but that's dead and gone. I'm a new person. And yeah, I still fail, but Jesus is constantly renewing my heart and changing me to look more like him and less like the old me. That's good. Thank God for that. I don't want to be that old person. I want to be a new person who loves, who gives, who does things like Jesus would do. And that's because we've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Well, this idea of almost like switching kingdoms. Before you were in the kingdom of the flesh, like you served sin, you served the world, you served yourself. It's your kingdom. So who's going to be the king? You. But when you come to Jesus, you switch kingdoms from yourself to now you're part of God's kingdom. And when you switch kingdoms, you switch kings. Jesus is the king. So you no longer follow this master. Now you have a new master. And this master is not brutal. He's not going to put things that you can't do on you. The Bible says, come to me because my yoke is easy. It's light. He said, I'm not going to put burdens on you that you can't carry. I'm going to demand a lot from you, but I'm going to give you my spirit so you can do all those things and more. That's not a burden. That's good. He says, I'm going to demand your life, but I'm going to also help you give your life for the cause of God and his kingdom and the good of this world. I'm going to cause you to do that. So Christian, you're not on your own and you're not left with a whole bunch of commandments in the Bible. You're left with God's spirit living in you that empowers you to do all those things that God wants you to do. We have a new king. We switch. We have a spirit in us that changes everything about us. So we start looking like new people. And how good is it to actually go into the world and see people you used to hang out with or you maybe still hang out with? They're like, you're changing. Not just because you have a Bible in your hand or you don't drink anymore, but you're changing. See, religion can make you stop doing things. But Jesus... He not only makes you stop doing things, he can start things in your life. Religion will never be able to start new, healthy, life-giving habits. It just says, okay, let's stop doing bad things. I'm good now. But Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to change your heart where you don't want to do the things of this world and you want to do the things of my kingdom. And that's starting to look like Jesus. And so you start doing things for him. And then people come to know Jesus. Why? Because they come to a church service? No, because you're the church in the world and you look like Jesus. So there's thousands of people who look like Jesus who are made his image, who are being transformed to look like Jesus by their actions and words. Jesus didn't just teach people, he served people. 
So your words hopefully point to Jesus and your life points to Jesus. And that's how people come to know Jesus. I didn't just come to know Jesus because of a sermon. The reason why I came back to this church the first time I came here was because everyone was hospitable and selfless and, and they were welcoming and they gave me hugs and asked me questions and asked how I was doing. They didn't even know me. Eight years ago, I stood back there and it's because I came back because people were being the hands and feet of Jesus. I don't even remember what the sermon was. And I don't care. What was important was the people of the church being the church. Sermons are important. I mean, I'm doing it. I'm not doing it for, like, you know, just for fun. Like, I, they're good. But what's more important is you being Jesus. And that means that your old life is gone, your new life is here. And that's the third part, that we get to live for Jesus. I love this. This is amazing. You're probably thinking, oh, you probably study for sermons so you can preach it. But I'm studying for myself and preaching to myself. So if y'all don't listen to this, I'm listening to this. And I'm saying amen in my head. That's good. Because I need this. I'm not preaching to people and then not living it out. I'm trying to. And I want to. And seriously, when I was studying and praying over this, like this got me excited. Because it shows me Jesus died for me so that I could stop being a slave to myself and sin and start living for him. And this is how. Galatians 2.20, we talked about it. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. This is the best part. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's some good stuff. So you're telling me that I've been crucified with Jesus. My old life is gone. It's no longer I who live. Christopher's not living anymore. Yeah, I still have the same personality. Yeah, I'm still, I still have the same corny jokes and the same kind of things I do or don't do. You have the same, you're the same person, but you're not. Because it's not you calling the shots. You're not the king. You're not living. It's Jesus living his life through you. That's cool. That's crazy. That's mind-blowing. Because we always focus on what can I do for Jesus? How can I please Jesus? What, can I, what, can, what are the things I can do? But you need to know this before you start thinking, how can I live for Jesus? You need to know that, that the Bible says once you've been crucified with Jesus and you trust in him, that you, li you literally no longer live because Jesus is living his life in and through you. Jesus is in you through his spirit, living his life in and through you. That's amazing. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not just doing Jesus things. It's Jesus doing things in me and through me. And so when you see something good in my life, like me being able to serve or me doing good or helping kids or me loving my wife, it's not because Christopher's so good. It's because I'm letting Jesus live his life through me. And he's changing me. And he wants to love. He wants to serve. He wants to forgive. He wants to give. And that's his life living through me. Jesus lives through you if you're a Christian. He resides in you through his spirit, the Bible says. Jesus said this, and this is a shocker. I hope you know this. He said, it's better that I go back up to heaven than to stay here. And you're like, what? Like if I had a vote, uh, Jesus in heaven, Jesus here. Like, okay, Jesus here. Like I want him right now. Like, can you just walk around and like tell me, don't do this, do this. Like that'd be so cool. It'd be awesome. It'd be easy. And we're like, why can't that happen? But it does happen in a more powerful way. Because Jesus says, it's better that I go away so I can send you my spirit. And what does he call the Holy Spirit? Helper. Amen, I need help. I love that, the, that God's spirit is called the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the advocate. He's going to help me because I need help. I need help to love. 
I need help to be selfless. I need help to give up my possessions. And that's because his spirit is in me, changing my heart. The Bible says from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, a heart that once was stubborn and selfish to a heart that's soft and able to be molded by God and his word and able to give. That's the new heart I have and you have if you trust in Jesus, that you can have this morning if you trust in Jesus. A new heart. Don't you want that? I don't know about you, but when I was living my old life, it, it wasn't that fun. And now that I look back at it, I was like, that was, I, was a, I was a wreck. I was never happy. I was chasing after different things to, to, to make myself content and satisfied, and nothing satisfied me but Jesus. Because His Spirit filled me, and I started being a new person because I was a new creation. And I started having this joy and this peace and this patience and this passion and excitement. And it's not just me doing religious things. It's Jesus doing it through me. The reason why you're able to change and you have changed and we've seen stories upon stories of people changing is because Jesus is in you working through you. And this is how he does it, through his spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Paul explains it. So we're like, how does, like, okay, so God's spirit lives in me. So how is it supposed to help me? Like, how does he do it? How does he change me? Or why should this affect me? Paul says this. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who comes from God and dwells inside of you? Take a break there. See, back then they had a temple, right? And everyone would come from far away to come to the temple. And some people would be able to get inside the temple, the priest, and they would experience God and hear from God and make sacrifices on their behalf for their sin. The temple was one temple everyone went to. But those days are long gone because the Bible says you are the temple of God. So instead of people coming to you or waiting for people to come to you or waiting for people to come to these doors, you get to go out and bring Jesus to wherever you go. You get to bring Jesus, the temple of God, his spirit, to the dirtiest place, to the darkest place, to the place where people aren't going to come to a temple or a church, but you can bring Jesus to them. You are a temple of the living God. And get this, you do not own yourself. Figured you'd be silent after I read that. You do not own yourself. See, once you come to Jesus, it's not like the, I can serve you when I want to serve you, and when it's really hard, I'm not going to do it. It's a, you own me, you purchase me by your death, I am yours. I am your people. I'm your son. I'm your possession. Use me. But it's not like a, a, a dragging your feet, I don't want to be used. It's a, you trust him because he's a good master. He's a good father. Because he's a good father, we can trust him. And we want, I want God to be controlling over my life, to guide me and lead me and call the shots. I have free will. It's not like God controls everything I do. I can go jump off a bridge. I can go wreck my car. I can go commit adultery. I can do whatever I want. But I won't or don't want to because Jesus is in me. And he's changed my heart. And because of that change, now I want to live for him because he owns me. See, he says, you do not own yourself. You have been purchased at a great price, the price of the death of Jesus. So use your body to bring glory to God. 
And this is, the, this is the greatest waste in life. If you want to think of the greatest wasted life, it's someone who wants the benefits from Jesus' death, but does never, never wants to live and put effort to living for Jesus. You want to or you claim to have Jesus and you love him and you know him, but you don't want to put any effort toward living for him. That's a waste. That's saying, Jesus, what you did wasn't, wasn't really that special because, yeah, I believe it and I want it to get me into heaven, but I'm not going to let it move me enough to actually do something for you. It's a waste. Jesus has so much more for you. He has so much more for you in store than just saying, I want to receive. If you're going to receive the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus, then you're going to live for him. He's going to naturally want you to live for him and you're going to naturally desire that eventually. So use your body to bring glory to God. Don't use your body. Don't use your gifts. Don't use your time to bring glory to yourself. Bring, use everything you have to bring glory to God. What does that mean? It means let your life shine and point to Jesus. Don't let people see you and go, it's you, it's you, it's you. You're talented. You're good. I mean, I, I love speaking, but it's kinda, I kind of cringe sometimes at the end when people are like, Pastor Chris, you're awesome. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Jesus is. It wasn't me. Like, it's not me. I don't want you to say I'm good. I, I don't care about me. Like, I, I, yeah, I love myself. I take care of myself. And, you know, I'm not like some masochist or whatever, but I love myself in a good way, healthy way. Like Jesus says to love yourself. But I don't want people to see me. I want people to see Jesus. And I want my body and my time and my energy and passions to be used so people would see Jesus. And for those who don't know Jesus in here, I want what I have and my time and my energy and hopefully the people around you have the same heart so they can serve you and love you and use their passions and give things so people can see Jesus, not us. We don't want the community to know how good Creekside is. I don't give a rip about advertising our name. I don't care about people opening or coming out on campus because we're the big church. I just want people to know Jesus. I'm not after fame for me or this church. I'm after fame for Jesus. I want Jesus to be famous because I know that when he's made famous in someone's life, their life's going to change. And they get satisfied in return. That's good news. That he's inside of us and working through us. A couple of scriptures left. This is how it happens. So Jesus is literally inside of us through his spirit. You're probably like, okay, so I had the Holy Spirit. Like, what's next? How does this really change me and energize me to live differently? I love this scripture. I think all of these can be my life verses. So maybe I'm just going to combine them all. But uh, Philippians 2, Paul's writing to this church. And it's one of my favorite verses. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is God who works in you, both to will and to do what pleases him. Another version says it this way. This might be easier. Continue to work out your salvation with great fear and trembling because God is energizing you so that you will desire and do what always pleases him. I love that. God's not going to say, do all these things for me. Be my witness. Serve the poor. Be, be forgiving the people who hurt you without giving you his spirit to be able to do that. And the Bible says that he doesn't only give us the desire to do that. He gives us the ability. So you're without excuse. You have everything you need in you because Christ is in you. You have the desire from the Spirit. You have the ability from the Spirit. You don't need anything else besides community to flourish that. You have God's Spirit living in you. You can do amazing things in the name of Jesus that bring glory to Jesus because He is in you, energizing you, quickening you, changing your heart, and giving you literally a new heart that beats for Him, not for yourself. 
So you're not worried about people seeing how good you are. You're worried about people seeing how good God is. And that desire changes, so he's working in you. So I hope you, I hope you feel that. Like I hope if you say, I'm a Christian, and you're not feeling that, start questioning things in a good way. You don't want to fool yourself when you get to heaven and go, I thought I served you, because the Bible talks about that. Jesus said, there's going to be people that said, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name, I did this, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Why is that? Because people are going to fool themselves into thinking they're Christian and they never, ever really followed Jesus, never knew him, never accepted and received and treasured him. They just did things in his name. And you can do that. It's called religion. We don't want to be religious. We want to be centered on Jesus and what he's done for us. And that means God working and literally shining his light and living his life through you. So you're not pressured just to say, I got to live for Jesus. No, no, no. Let Jesus live his life through you. That means get out the way. (laughs) That's all you got to do. It's not yet to work out your spiritual muscles by, by doing all these things, memorizing 30 verses, and then God will use you. No. It's just get out of the way. Stop getting in the way of Jesus. He's in you. He wants to love through you. But the way we get in the way is when there's someone that's hurt us and, and Jesus is like in us saying, forgive them. We go, nah, hate them. Well, that's going to stop a lot of stuff, right? That's going to stop Jesus from living his life in you. He's God. But he's not going to just go over your will, change everything, and you have no say anymore. He wants to work with you to change you because he is a good father. And he wants to help his sons and daughters look more like him and to love people. And so when you have people you're able to give to and you hold your wallet and your possessions that I don't want to give, that's stopping Jesus from living his life through you. The other way, the contrary way would be if someone needed something. I heard of a woman in this church, first service, who met a mom and the mom had need and the mom was going through stuff. So the woman went, took, the, took that woman, went away and gave her a $200 check. That's the church. That's letting Jesus live your li- his life through you. And they never even met before. She, she doesn't know what's going on. Besides the fact that this woman needs help, needs money, need, she, she's slammed with all these things and burden, she broke in tears, and the woman just gave her $200. Say, so use this. That's allowing Jesus to live his life through you. It's easy. You get out the way and go, man, this is your money, God, not mine. This is your house, not mine. This is your talents, not mine. And so you use them as you see fit to love people. And so you say, hey, I got all this money, gifts, talents, and, and you just use them for Jesus because he's, he's going to. He's not going to be dormant like sleeping like, you know, Jesus, wake up. I need some help. Like, he's going to help you. He's always there moving. He wants to love and serve and give and help. But you have to just get out the way and he's going to do it. Last verse before we worship Jesus. This is what it looks like. This is the end. This is like what the picture looks like when all these pieces are put together. That you're going to produce fruits. Your roots they are either down in the flesh or down in the spirit. They're either rooted, you're either rooted in sin or you're rooted in God. And because we're either rooted in sin or God, you either literally follow Satan in the world or you follow Jesus. There's no in-between. And that might sound really offensive to people who don't believe, like, well, you're saying that I'm, I'm, I'm following the, the devil? That's what the Bible says. There's one kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. And you either follow him or you're naturally, by default, following and being influenced by everything that's not Jesus. Darkness. Satan. And so you're, you're going to produce fruits, right? If your roots are in God, you're going to produce fruits that look like Jesus. If your roots are in sin, you're going to produce fruits that look like what? Who? 
Satan, darkness, not Jesus. So you're going to produce things. So you might say you're a Christian, but if your fruits look nothing like Jesus, then you should question. You might, you might, you might think it's working, but, but what is your life producing? Because when people see those fruits, does it remind them of Jesus or not? This is what Paul says in Galatians 5. He says you're literally going to produce either the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh. He says our flesh entices us into practicing some of his most heinous acts. Sexual relationships that are corrupt, impurity, idolatry, hatred, arguing, jealousy, anger, selfishness, division, drunkenness. He says that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to come out of your life eventually if your roots are in the sin in your old life. But if your roots are in Jesus, the fruit is going to look like Jesus. It says the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. Unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things look like Jesus, right? The fruits look like Jesus. And this is what I love. Paul's not saying, you need to do this. You need to be more loving. You need to be more patient. You need to be forgiving. Even though he does, he's saying right here that the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. That's his job. He's going to produce fruit in you if you gather away. And say, what, you, you got to learn first. Learn about Jesus. Who is he like? What is he like? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Spirit as he nudges you and teaches you and then you just get out the way and when something seems like Jesus wants to do it, you let Jesus do it instead of holding on. And then people will come to know Jesus and be loved and served because this is happening because of fruit of Jesus coming out and you're a different person. We don't want to be people who say we're one thing because we attend a building or part of it and that's all. We want to be people who say we are Jesus followers and you can see Jesus coming out of us. If you squeeze a jelly donut, what's going to come out of it? Orange juice? For you six students probably, but it's going to be a, a, a literally jelly. When life squeezes you and the pressure of suffering and when bills are short or long and, and craziness happens, your marriage is tight and life squeezes you, what's going to come out? Jesus or you? Jesus or you? You might think that, that everything's good, and, and, but when people are around you, when life is squeezing you, they're going to find out what you're like. And even though I'm sinful and I'm going to fail and mess up, Jesus forgives me and he's going to produce his fruit through me. So hopefully out of my selfishness still and me working through things, people are going to see Jesus and be loved because he's working in me. Amen? 